sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. So, the Gideonites, they too see how unstoppable God's people are. They're coming in and they're, they're killing everyone. They're purging the land. Uh, we talked about this early on in this series. The reason the Israelites had to be so brutal in purging the land is that these people were cancerous people. They were diseased people, evil people. And if they were allowed to remain there, even just small pockets of these people of the land, it would corrupt Israel. <coughs> it was an act of grace that God was allowing anyone to live. He chose his people, and he said, you have to carve, you have to amputate this from the land, or else you will never be a holy people. You'll be corrupted. They were to make no covenants with these people. We read several places earlier in the Old Testament. Israel was to be ruthless. They were to show no favor to these people. They were not to make covenants with them. They were to purge them from the land. And here are these Gideonites. Pretending that they're not people from the land, they're people from a foreign land. Obviously, we've traveled from a long distance. Look at how, how torn up our clothes are. Our, our bread is holy. We promise we're not inhabitants of the land. Don't kill us. We're from a foreign land. Make a covenant with us. So we don't have to worry about you killing us. That's what's going on here. Picking up at verse 7. How do the Israelites respond to this deception? The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? They were remembering. God said something about this. But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report from him, of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This is our bread. This was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins, which we filled with new wine, and behold, they are torn. And these are clothes, and our sandals are worn out because of a very long journey. So, verse 14, So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. That was an earful to take in. But Joshua felt it. He looked at their bread and he thought, well, their story seems to check out. He did not consult the counsel of God. He made a covenant with them. God was so specific. Do not make a covenant with the people of the land. Joshua should have slowed down. He should have been more careful with his words of commitment. He should have prayed. He should have 
remembering how serious God is about His covenant. He should have consulted with God. But He didn't. He didn't do any of those things. He made a covenant. Okay, now, I want you to let your eyes shift from Joshua and from what we've seen up to God. Let your focus shift from Joshua up to what God's doing there. What's God doing during all this? Could he not have revealed to Joshua that these people were tricking him? As important as this promised land is, as important as it clearly is to God to finally put his people in the promised land, as important as it is to God to purge this land of these evil people, he did not step in, he did not reveal to Joshua that these people Reliant to him. He let him make his covenant. And we read in verse 16. It came about at the end of three days after they had made the covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within the land. Just three days. And Joshua just waited three days. He would not have made this huge, huge error. So why did God allow this to happen? Why did he step in? Here's my guess. I know you're thinking, we'll pay you guess what's really here. This is what I'm pretty sure is the case. I want you, your smart people, think a little with me. This is the main point of the, of the service. It's going to be a short service since we're doing communion today. Here's my guess why God didn't step in. I think it's because responding rightly to God, to who God is, is more important than acts of obedience. Responding rightly to who God is is more important than acts of obedience. Now let me explain what I mean when I say responding to who God is is more important than acts of obedience. Um, many of you have kids, small kids. Maybe your kids are grown. You remember what it's like to have small kids. I have two. I have a three-year-old and a almost one-year-old. In our house, we have a brick uh, hearth by our fireplace. It's the perfect Hype for our one-year-old Lillian to stand up there and you know do what little one-year-olds do. It's also the perfect height that if she were to be standing there and miss with her hand, she would bash her perfect little face on the corner of these bricks. Our three-year-old likes to get on the bricks and, and run and jump and dive off like he's an action hero. So a, a constant part of our lifestyle at the Parsonage is keeping the kids away from bricks. And we've tried to put blankets and pillows there, and that just makes it look like mega to, to Lily, our, our little one. It just draws her to it. And she just burrs her face in there. So, when Lily is going toward the bricks, I go and I pick her up, and I move her away from the bricks. That's what you do. She's one year old. One year old. One year singular old. But it's a little bit different with my son Elias. He's a little older. You know, he's a little less fragile, and I expect him, I expect a little more from him. And as Lillian grows up, it's going to change too. It's going to change from me intervening and making her obey to me hoping and praying that she will recognize me for who I am. I'm her father. I love her. And I know what's best for her. And I said, don't play with bricks. And it will be more important as she grows older that she recognize and respond rightly to who I am than simply acts of obedience. I mean, I could just move her 
responding rightly to who God is is more important than simply acts of obedience. Think about the Pharisees. If you spent much time in the Gospel reading the, the biographies of Jesus, you see that his harshest words were for the really religious people. They were called Pharisees. These people were awesome at acts of obedience. They were great at acts of obedience. But they were terrible at rightly responding to who God was. With their lips, with their actions, they seemed close to God, but their hearts were far, far away. And God does not want that. He does want us to obey, but He doesn't just want us to obey. He wants us to see who He is and to respond rightly. Recognizing that He loves us, that He is wise, and that it's best for us to live according to His, his way that He's outlined for us. So we need to examine ourselves. We're all here as someone who wanted who we are. Are we here as an act of obedience? Or are we here out of the right response to who God is? Are we here because we know we, we need connection to God and His people? Because we know God is good, God loves us, His Word instructs us. So we come, we respond by coming. Or do you come as an act of obedience? God will please with me if I do this. So I'm going. What I'm trying to say about Joshua. God's priority for Joshua in this situation was not don't make a covenant with the people of the land. As important as that was, his priority was you need to learn who I am. You need to learn to respond rightly to me. So he allows him to make this huge mistake. God's priority for us this morning is not to obediently, because Alicia is up here leading us, sing, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit's within me because I'm dying. He doesn't want us to just obediently say these things. doesn't mean anything. He wants us to see that we are forgiven. Because Christ was condemned, He wants us to see and recognize and respond to the fact that we are accepted because He was forsaken. And these things happen in the heart. And it's Valentine's Day. And, and you, you women, you wives, do you, just, do you just want an obligatory, I love you, here's a rose? It's the annual day to say, I love you, here's a rose. Or do you want your husband to see and, and respond to the fact that he finds you lovely? There's a huge difference. Huge, huge, huge difference. And one of the biggest problems in, in the church today is that we have just settled for, here's your rose, I love you. It's Sunday morning, here's my singing. We've accepted that and we've forsaken it. Right to see and respond to God. Totally different. Totally, totally different. And he will allow his people to make huge mistakes in order to try to teach these things to us. Because it's so much more important than just making the right decision. Think of verse 17 here. And then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. 
Now their cities were Gibeon and Shephirah and Beerah and Kiriath, Jerim. I'm glad they didn't have a pronunciation test and I did an ordination examination. <laughs> the sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that the wrath of God will not be upon us for the oath which we have sworn to them. The whole, all of Israel is just groaning. They're groaning because the leaders were idiots. They made a terrible decision. But the leaders have to say, you're right, but we can't just kill them now. And why, why couldn't it? This was a covenant that God never wanted. This was a covenant that these people entered into through deception. I mean, the whole premise for the covenant was, was based on deception. Could they not have just gone ahead and killed them? They're just, it's just words, right? Could they not have just made it right by just killing them? I feel like if I were in Joshua's shoes, I would have really been trying to make a case for that. They lied their way into this covenant. I don't have to honor this. But no, they had to honor the covenant. Words have meaning. They did it. They had to face the consequences. And the consequences were the ongoing lesson to the Israelites. You need to seek the counsel of God. You need to obey what God says because God knows. God loves you and He knows because you need to seek His counsel. The consequences were the ongoing lesson for them. Now, I'm going to take a break from the sermon here. I got time for this. I have got a secret to share with you. Okay? I want this to stay in these walls here. Because if this gets out, it's going to probably, I don't know, Charlotte will probably split in half. This is big. Okay? I have a secret. It's actually two secrets. Now, if you listen to this, and you'll act on it, it will change your lives. Dramatically change your lives. And when I talk about changing lives, I mean in very real practical ways. You will sleep better. You will think more clearly. You will look more attractive. You will go farther in your career. You will live longer. You will feel better. Okay, you ready for it? Two things. Eat right. Exercise. And you're thinking, I know that. We know that. I know that. I'm, I'm starting myself now. I know that. But I don't eat right. I don't exercise. Why? I know these things to be true. Why is it that so many of us don't eat right? We don't exercise. Until we face the consequences of not eating, not exercise. When the heart attack comes, when the onset of diabetes occurs, when our backs go out from lifting the Kleenex out of the box, <laughs> then we learn 
is I'm not seeing clearly. I'm not thinking clearly. I'm going to do better. And we never go through the heart transplant. We're, we're dying with diseased hearts. And we're mistaking the diagnosis for the answer.